0: As we move into our time of worship, I just want to encourage us as these songs are being played. Um, that already were in day three of the new year, but there's a lot of clamoring and stuff going on all throughout the earth and in individual lives and trying to um, get our attention. But I pray that we would remember as Christians that we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And so I hope these songs um, would be an encouragement to each of us as these words are sung over us. Uh, We take the time just to be still and to know that he is God. Carrie, would you pray for our time of worship and our time in the word?
1: Father, we thank you so much for this new year. For everything that a new year brings. Just hope, a renewed hope. Father, but... Even looking back, we know that we could not get through anything without you. And we thank you for in this promise of a new year, that you're already there. And that your promises are yes and amen. And we thank you for the privilege that we have coming together today. And that we would never take that for granted because there are so many that don't have that. And we don't wanna be those people that when something is taken away from us, we look back and say, oh, we didn't realize how good we had it. And as we come together, first to worship in song and then to worship in the word, God. Just as Rob said, there'd be nothing clamoring for our attention, nothing to distract us, Nothing to take away, Holy Spirit, from what you have for us. Because you know exactly what we need. You are everything to all people. There is a desire for the Creator in all of us. And we thank you that it is your desire to fill that within us, God. And so may we be responsive to whatever you have for us today. In your name, amen.
0: Word, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, you know exactly where each one of us are at. And I pray, God, that we would put aside any distractions, Lord, and that, uh, Father, that we would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We thank you for the living word. And I do pray, God, that our hearts would be of good soul to receive, Lord, that it would take root, Father, and produce. Lasting fruit in our lives, Lord. Our lives, God, for the gospel, I pray. Whatever it takes, Father. Whatever needs to be stripped away from us. However we need to be humbled, Lord. I pray that we would get beyond ourselves and stop looking at self. That we will look unto Christ. The author and the finisher of our faith. For you are worthy, O God. Father, may we be effective laborers in your harvest. Father, may we be able to discern the times. And may we go forth, Father, putting our hands to the plow and not looking back. So have your way among us and in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, good morning. I'm going to go through the three R's for 2021 that I shared with you on New Year's Eve. And each scripture um, that I would encourage you to kind of memorize throughout the year, that ties in to one of the R's. And so the first R is repentance. And the definition for repentance is the action of repenting, sincere regret or remorse. The scripture to memorize for repentance is second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 through 11. It reads, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. Repentance. The second R, resolve. Decide firmly on a course of action make up one's mind romans 6 verse 11 through 12 reads so you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to god through christ jesus do not let sin control the way you live do not give in to sinful desires Finally, the third R to take into 2021 is release. The act of setting free or letting go. John 8, 36. So if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Repentance, resolve, release. Think upon these three R's each day of this year. Throughout the day. As I've encouraged you over time, repentance is just not a one shot prayer. It's every day, it's a lifestyle. Sin is no longer to be your master. You are to be a slave unto righteousness now. Jesus is Lord. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Him as Lord and Savior, you recognize your need for Him. There's nothing in and of you that is good. We, apart from Christ, are in rebellion towards His kingdom. We are in rebellion towards the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the nature in which all of us are born into. Every single one of us. And it's a nature that, that the Bible says that even those who are in Christ, that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other inside. You have to choose. Life and death is set before you. Choose life. God has done all he is going to do. He has sent forth his son. Because he so loved the world. Don't miss out on that. You know, I encourage you every Christmas season and every Easter season, I always tell you, it's just not one day of year that you should reflect on his birth or his death or his resurrection. That should be every day. That should be every day. Reflecting and reminding yourself that he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the living God. And you are now, if you are a Christian, are in Christ You're submitted to His leading because you've received the Holy Spirit. Jesus Himself says, I have to go away so that He will come. If you're a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit, God Himself in you. To bring about His will and His purpose for His kingdom. I know we like to think it's for our lives, but it's for His kingdom. Everything is about Him. Everything was created for Him and by Him. Jesus, and we've said this before, and I've said this before, isn't to be an addition to your life, like you add on Jesus to your life. No, Jesus is to be your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I know it's popular to to make Jesus an add-on to your life. But as a Christian, you are to reckon yourself dead and alive in Christ Jesus. You're no longer living for self. You are to be maturing to stop looking at yourself and to fix your eyes upon him, the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus, you all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Five years ago today, Christian men were lined up on a beach And the Muslim extremists beheaded them. And the video went around the world. And I keep encouraging us that the level of persecution is rising on the earth towards Christians. I keep encouraging us that darkness is gaining. It's going to keep growing darker and darker And darker. And you say, but how is that encouraging? Because I keep reminding us because the church is still on the earth. If you are a Christian, you are to be about your father's business. You are to be about the kingdom of God. Christianity is not solely for you to gain all that this world has. No, Christianity is that you've released yourself from all that this world offers. Because there's nothing in this world that is satisfying. Because you recognize that you were just a foreigner passing through. So you're not living for yourself any longer. You're not living for selfish motives any longer. You're not living for selfish gain any longer. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the fruit of your labor. It doesn't mean that you can't live and experience a full life here. But what it means is is that life and the things of this world are not world are not controlling you. No. You are engrafted into the family of God. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you have been engrafted into the family of God. You have been given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. Are you living for Christ? Remember, as the Bible tells us, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. By changing the way we think. And so I want to encourage us, as we go into this new year, to be mindful, to be diligent in seeking Him every day. Every day. It's about Christ. It's about His kingdom. We're living in... Times that, that, uh, that the earth is shaking. We're living in times that, the, that it's all prophetically written. Until the day He returns, He is returning. And there's work for us to do. But we must remain a people that remain low. <laughs> we must remain people that think of others before we think of ourselves. We must be servants. We must go forth and love. We must go forth and and preach the gospel and share the good news with others. And as I've always encouraged you, before you go out and share it with others, share it with yourself. Every day, remind yourself. (laughs) Remind yourself of the need for Christ to be Lord over your life. He is pleased to reveal Himself to you through His Son, Jesus. And Jesus came to reconcile the created back to the creator. And that's why when Romans 5.1 says, Now therefore you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ your Lord. You're no longer living in rebellion towards Him. No, you're honoring Him now with the choices and the decisions that you're making. You're recognizing that He is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Holy. And as I've been encouraging us, there's no error found in God. The error is found in man. The created. We're the ones who turned from him. He hasn't turned from us. God's will is that he will have a people that will that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. He's a God of covenant. He's a God of, of, of relationship. He's a God that desires relationship with His created. He's a loving God, but He's also a just God. And we've got to get serious about sin in our lives. We've got to get serious about the lack of maturing as a Christian that's happening in our lives and in the church. Especially when we're living in in a time of such darkness when the church is being persecuted at the highest level ever, it's not time to remain an infant, thinking that that's okay just to sit and idly sit back and do nothing. No, you have a part. I've encouraged us, if you have breath in your body today, there is work to be done for the kingdom of God you are to be utilizing your gifts that you've been given. That the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has distributed among the church so that we collectively work together to bring about His purpose, His vision. It's all for Him and Him alone. You come to Christ, you die to self. Jesus didn't mince words. He said, consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. He lays out the understanding that this is a spiritual rebirth. You're, You're a new creation. All things have been passed away. You're to live differently now. You've been transformed. Your eyes have been opened. Your ears have been opened. You're no longer part of this world that is under the control of Satan. But now you have been ingratified into his kingdom, and his kingdom cannot be shaken, and the gates of hell cannot prevail. You have been called to go forth and to bear his image to a world that hates his kingdom. Like, are we grasping this? Or are we just coming to church because that's just what we do? We just go to church. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you recognize that you have been marked, set apart for His purpose. You bear His image to a world that hates Him and that hates His kingdom, that is controlled and still... Submitted to the enemy of his throne. Satan, you all. It is a spiritual war. And it's about time that the church wakes up and recognizes that she can no longer continue to be mixed up in the affairs of civilian life. No, we have to do our due diligence. To walk by faith and not by sight. We have to grow. We have to mature into the things of Christ. We have to be empowered. Fresh anointing. Fresh fire. Upon us and within us. By the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We've got to stop making excuses in our lives. For the things that are mastering us, that's why repentance is so vital, you all. Repentance—the first R—lifestyle doesn't mean you waller on the ground and you constantly beat yourself up and oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and that—that's that—that is a horrible state to remain. Always putting as if your sin is greater than your God. And it's almost like you're just making it about yourself. No, true repentance is a godly sorrow. It is a sorrow. It is a deep grief that you who belong to God are still going and touching and doing the things that are in rebellion towards Him. And you repent. And a genuine repentance leads, I love what the scripture says here, the results is salvation. It leads you away from sin. You can tell if you're genuinely repentant. Because you recognize. And you turn from it and you go a different way. You're not hiding it. You're not just keeping it. You're just not looking at it and touching it every now and then. No, no, no. You recognize you you do a cut off. It's a cut away. You, You turn from it. You have nothing to do with it. You're exposing the fruitless deeds of darkness. You're dragging it out into the light. You're not letting sin to control you, to manipulate you, or to master you. No, you are repentant. It's a genuine sincere regret and remorse. And it leads you all to life, to salvation. Worldly repentance only leads to death. Like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm sorry, God. But yet, right back, you're at it. Right back, you're at it. Oh, i got these thoughts going on in my head. And instead of applying truth to your life, you allow them to rule and reign when the Bible says you ought to be taking every thought captive and bringing it into the obedience of His Lordship. Where does sin come from? The Bible says it comes from the desires that are from within. But you need to recognize, that's why you need to know your identity. That's why you need to mature as a Christian. You need to recognize that you've nailed those desires to his cross. You've crucified them there. You need to recognize when the word of God says he's given you everything you need to live a godly life. You need to recognize when you see it in your life. Don't play the the shame blame game. No, get up, repent, receive and move on. Our God is great. He knows our condition. But God is greater than the old man. God is greater than the sinful man. But what happens is that we pull away from God. We pull away from church. We pull away from fellowship. That's what the enemy wants. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life and abundance come to me, turn to me, receive me. Have you received him? Have you received him? The world hates him. And the world hates Christians. And it's so sad. I don't know if you ever heard it before, but these so-called Christians that they they mark themselves a Christian because they may show up for service when they deem it's fitting for their schedule. Uh, These so-called Christians who who will post uh, these Jesus encouragement on their social media, but yet their life reflects nothing of Christ. Uh, These so-called Christians who may know a few scriptures here and there, or maybe they know the whole entire Bible. Maybe they can pray. Maybe they serve, but there's no change within them. And they'll even tell people, oh, I'm a Christian, but but I'm not one of those Christians, you know, who take this serious. And they mock the kingdom of God. They mock the kingdom of God. They trample His blood underneath their feet. They make it so common as if it's nothing. And I've encouraged us, as the Bible encourages us, those are the people that we need to be mindful of. In fact, the Bible tells us to have nothing to do with them. It doesn't tell us not to have anything to do with the loss. It tells us not to have anything to do with those who call themselves Christians, but deny the power of God. And how are they denying the power of God? Because their lives aren't transformed. There's nothing new about them. They've just slapped Jesus on their life, and their life is producing nothing of repentance. Nothing of renewal. Nothing. And yet that's what the churches are pushing out into the world. These so-called Christians who have no clue of what it truly means to follow the king in whom they say they're in relationship with. They've got no fear of God. They've got more fear of man than they do of God. And how then will his kingdom advance when they're still enslaved to sin and to the fear of man? God help us. God help us. From the beginning, God created. He spoke. And The earth was formed. He set aside Adam and Eve in a perfect place. He was in communion with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. They had all they needed until the one day the enemy came and lied. made Eve question God. And it's no different than today nor has it been throughout the generations. He's a liar. He makes us question God. You see, God is enough, you all. God is enough. And oh, how I pray that you know him to be enough today so that when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him, a standard of righteousness a standard of holiness, of truth. Are you abiding in Christ today? I can continue to remind us that there are people when they take their last breath, they are going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's going to say to them, "Depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. And how sad? Oh, but the good news is there will be those who will stand before him and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to my rest. Think of your life. Think of your life. Are you serving him? Or are you denying him? You can call yourself a Christian all you want. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian has considered the cost. They have a, 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 a belief and a confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. That's what they base their life on, their decisions on. They have let go of everything. Jesus is Lord. They have repented. They've turned from their wickedness. Do you know those men who were lined up on that beach before they were beheaded? Do you know our brothers and sisters throughout the earth that are, in, that are going through the most intense persecution? Do you know all that could stop if they would just deny Jesus. They would just deny Jesus, but they don't. And I keep encouraging us here in the West. We deny him almost every opportunity we get when things are presented to us, when times get hard, we go back, we turn back, or we're afraid to speak up in front of our family and our friends. We're afraid of the whole truth. We give up so quickly. The church is submitting to the rule and the law of man in the West. We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. Christ is to be king, Christ is to be Lord. We're living in times even now that if Christians truly lived out their faith in the West, they could lose their jobs. They're not accepted by society. And yet, the church's vision in the West is to become more worldly, to adapt to the culture around it. Not all churches, but unfortunately the majority. And now we're seeing those churches and those Christians who are standing up for truth and our generation being attacked. And we expect it from the lost, but they're being attacked by the so-called Christians, by the religious institution, by the government-run institution, Oh, are you able to stand for Christ? Are you living for Christ? This is the Christian life, you all. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Messiah. And as I keep reminding us, He's not the baby still in the manger He's not the baby. and He's not the, 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 the man on the cross. He's not the man in the tomb. No, he's a risen Savior. He's God. Like, Do you understand? This is so much more. That what, even what we can even conceive in and of ourselves of it is a greater plan. It's a greater mystery. But God is pleased to reveal himself to us. His will is that none shall perish. So live a repentant life. Turn from self and turn to Christ. Resolve, determine that this is the year that you are going to seek Him with all that you are. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Love the Lord your God. Determine that sin will not be your master. Reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And then release. Release yourself from the old man, the old woman. Release yourself of the unforgiveness, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation. Release. Walk away from it. Turn yourself away and go the way of Christ. Because the Bible says, now if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. Why are you still in bondage? Why? Because it's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice. Christ has so much more for us. And, that, and the Christian life, again, is not about us. It's about him. To open your heart and your mind to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Understand truth and allow truth to define you. And remember, truth isn't a concept. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And I shared a few more scriptures the other night on repentance. And I just want to share the last ones with you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Joel 2, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. In Ezekiel 18, verse 32. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. This is good news, you all. This is the good news that we find in Christ. This is the good news. Repentance isn't a bad thing. Repentance is a good thing. It leads you to life. It leads you to life. You're not to continue to feast off the death. No, you're to be living and experience the fullness of life. What if I fail? What if I go back? What if I start in this vicious cycle? Well, then get up from it. Grow from it. It's not to master you. We all know what it's like to remain stuck. We all know what it's like to turn and to gaze longingly back and even put our hands towards it. But that's not where we belong, it's a trap from the enemy. You've got to know who your God is. I've always encouraged you. You should be able to preach yourself happy. That's why you should be preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. When you're, before you go and you make decisions, before you, 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 you choose to go this way or that way, you better be seeking Him. He is to be Lord of your life. And it's not a burden for Him to be. No, there's actually joy comes from it. We're to be a joyful people. We're to be a people who, who, who are content with Christ. like He's our all in all. God, you're my everything. God, I can't wait to be in your presence and standing before you. Like we're longingly looking forward to the day of his return. But until that day, we're being busy about His business. (laughs) Accomplishing what He has set forth for us to do. Remember, the Bible says that He's created good works for us to do. He's not a taskmaster. No, we freely do it. Because we love Him. But if you're not seeking Him, if you're not maturing, if you're not growing, if your heart is of not good soil... The Word's going to be choked and snatched away from you. And it ought not to be. Your heart is to be of good soil. Daily in the Word. Daily in fellowship with Christ and with believers. The church in and of itself has a bad rap, but it's not the actual church. It's the religious institution that has the bad rap the church in and of herself, the true church, the true bride of Christ, she's committed to Christ. She's honoring Christ. And if she slips up, she knows Christ is still for her and she gets back up and she keeps moving forward. There's hope found in Christ, you all. God, how I pray that we draw closer to him. God, how I pray that you are seeking him. Because the Bible says, seek him and you will find him if you seek him with your whole heart. We are to work as long as it's daylight. His kingdom is coming. He's returning. And you and I have the message, if we are Christians of the gospel, to declare that the captives would be set free. Because we recognize this world is not our home. We are to be kingdom minded. We weren't created for the temporal. No, no, no. We were created for the eternal. God's plan. We've been studying through the Old Testament. We're gonna continue to study through the Old Testament. Go to Joshua 21 and 22 today is what we're reading. And in Joshua, we're going to read the whole, well, we're not going to read chapter 21. We're going to jump right to chapter 22. We're going to read verse 1 through 20. 22, 1 through 20. But before we do that, we're going to talk about uh, Joshua 21 because the towns are given to the Levites. The tribe that was set apart to be the priest of God. And I love the fact when you read, because again, as as we study through the Old Testament, as we will continue, we see God setting a people apart for himself. The Israelites, they were chosen by God to be his people among the other nations. They were to bear his image they were to honor him they were to live for him they were to be his people they weren't to partake of what was going on with the other nations now we just got to grasp this and understand this even for ourselves there are going to be people who are not going to live for Christ and they have every right to live however they want but we should not get caught up looking longingly upon their foolishness. <laughs> Look what they can get away with. Look with that. Look at this. Look what they're enjoying. Why is life hard for me? Well, we shouldn't be comparing. We shouldn't be you know, longing and desiring what they have. Because can we not just grasp the fact that what they have is temporal? It's all going to fade away. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And yet we allow that to seduce us as the church, as Christians. We all want to be seduced. That's why you must remember that you are behind enemy lines. And when temptation comes, remember, temptation is not the sin. When temptation comes, when it's set before us to seduce us, you better push back on it. You better remember who you are because of who he is and whom you belong to. That's why I love when the Bible says he makes a way out of every temptation. You don't look longingly of what the world has. Because what they have, again, is here today, gone tomorrow. It could turn upside down in a moment. And they don't have it any longer. See, as Christians, we're to be content. Because we have all we need. We're not clinging to temporal relationships. We're not clinging to temporal things. We're not clinging to the temporalness. The temporalness of life does not define us. Take the relationships away. Take my possessions away. Take all of it away. I'm still content. I'm still content. Yes, I may mourn. Yes, I may feel bad. Yes, whatever. But that that doesn't define me and God will help me to walk through the loss. (laughs) But I'm content. Are you content with Christ? Are you satisfied with Christ? He set up people aside for himself, you all. Remember, he did great and mighty works in front of them and among them. He was with them, for goodness sakes. He was leading them. He was their God. And he said, just remain with me. Follow my commandments. He set up the the temple for worship. He gave them specific instructions. He laid everything out before them. And do you remember once he brought them out of Egypt? From their slavery, he set them free. The whole generation had to die off. They couldn't go into the promised land because they were murmuring and complaining. They kept looking back at Egypt. It was better there. Why did you bring us out here? And we better be careful, especially as new Christians, as baby Christians. Because the same thing can happen to us. I mean, it's It's, it's normal. God begins this work in your life. You begin to surrender more and more to Him, little by little. But then maybe your life just doesn't go the way you think it ought to go. Maybe all of a sudden, you you know, things are not working out the way you thought. And so instead of continuing to die to self and to live for Christ, you begin to look back. The old friends come around. The old desires begin to flare up. And then you are now challenged. What are you going to do? Are you living for Christ? Or are you looking back? That whole generation, that kept looking back. We ate better back there. We had all we needed back there. And you brought us out here to die. And how sad. They forgot that what was back there was killing them. It was oppressing them. It was destroying them. It was just using them. And yet they kept looking back, finding more comfort back here. See, all things are made new. When you are born again, you're born again of a new nature. It's going to feel weird. And just as you learn to walk as a child, so you must learn to walk as a Christian. You must get up every day, step by step. Keep moving forward. Keep holding on to Him. Keep trusting in Him. He's God you all. I mean, again, He did these miraculous things in these lives. And the Israelites... Back here was better, so he let that whole generation die off, and now a new generation comes forward, and they're hungry for God. Joshua is leading them; they're in obedience, they're obeying. Obedience is the key to the blessings of God. And there's a lot of people. I'm blessed. Oh, I'm blessed. God bless me. God bless me. And it's not God blessing you, <laughs> because there's no obedience in your life. It's the devil. Who is luring you away with deception? You say, but how is that? Know your enemy. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. The Bible says that he comes as an angel of light. He's not the one with the horns. Because if he was the one with the horns, or if he was the one that, you know, we, we would know. Be like, oh, yeah, no, no. He presents himself. Test the spirit. Not everything that is presenting to you is a blessing, <laughs> especially when you know you have disobedience in your heart. When well, you're not obeying God, you're not worshiping. See, the devil doesn't mind you having religion. He's the author of it. Remember, everything he does is opposite of the kingdom of God. God desires a relationship. The devil is fine with religion because it's cold, there's really no life. It's a worked base relationship and there's really no true heart in it and that's why you have all this weird stuff on this earth all these people worshipping all this weird stuff lost because they're deceived because the enemy knows that the created longs to be with the creator so God has placed in each of us And that's why every man, woman, boy, girl is seeking. Seeking something bigger than themselves. And so God set apart these people. Joshua has entered in. The Israelites have entered in to the promise of God. This land. You see, so as as we're reading through this book, don't miss out. God's faithful. His faithfulness, he's faithful. What he established here, he's bringing about. And so it is with our lives and our generation and the generations to come, what he set apart and said here, it's coming about there. Like there's a day when he's returning, everything that he is planned will come to pass. Rather, we're in agreement with it or not, that doesn't matter. No, God has said it and God will accomplish it. And now he's accomplishing it. He is setting up these people, this nation that he has selected for himself. And remember, the whole point of them was to bring forth the Messiah, Jesus. So don't miss out on that. And so they're conquering this land. They're driving out the enemies. They're slaughtering their enemies. They're reaping the spoil, all the rewards of it. And ultimately, the battle wasn't theirs. It was God fighting for them. And last time we met, we, we saw that he, God was faithful to the promise of setting up these cities of refuge. And now what we're going to see, that we're not going to read today. And again, I send these scriptures out to you early throughout the week. And hopefully you're taking time sitting down and reading through them. Looking at different commentaries, praying through it. And you're ready to engage when we come together. And if you're not doing that, then get that discipline in you this year. So if you've read chapter 21, you would understand that now it's time for the Levites. This tribe that was set aside, they were to be the priest of God. They they were to represent God. They were to help the people to remember God. And I love the fact that as you read and you see how these towns and these places were, were given to them. Because remember, they weren't given an allotted land like the other towns. Of the, other, of the other tribes. Because the Levites needed to be spread out through the land. And why is that? Priests. They were priests. God was among them. God's representative was among them. To remind them of who God was. Now it's no different than today. Christians, were called into the priesthood. All of us. If you're a Christian, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You have the same call as I do, as the next person, as the next person. That's truly a Christian.
2: You're to be living out
0: among the world. <laughs> wherever you go, wherever your feet lead you, you are to represent God. Remind people about God. And that's the beauty of this you are. God is faithful to keep his people for himself. In and of themselves, they wouldn't be. In and of ourselves, we wouldn't be. But God is faithful. See, that's how we can't make our Christian life works based, based on us. No, it's all based on Christ. That's where the freedom comes, you all. But do you understand, though, I mean, think about yourself. how many times have you said, ah, I, I, I just got a lot of stuff in me that's wrong that's you know no, I don't church is too much. I mean, God is, uh, and we pull away. And do you not realize that's the trick of the enemy? God already knows. And yet he still longs for you to come and to receive freely. The free gift of salvation. He doesn't put the burden on us. No, He took our punishment. He endured the wrath so that we wouldn't have to. See, there's no greater love than that. No man, no woman, nothing could ever do that for you. God Himself came. God himself is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. And you ought to respond when you see such great love. And that's why we run to him. Not to gain for ourselves, but to receive all that he is and all that he has. This is the good news. God is faithful. God lays it out and he is faithful to complete it. What well, he's begun in us, he is faithful. So why are we trying to pick up this new life and to live it out on our own? Even Paul tells the church, what are you doing? Why are you trying to live out what you received in the spirit by your flesh? So we gotta be mindful. We gotta be, we gotta, again, you gotta know your enemy. You gotta know his tactics. But ultimately, you gotta know your God. And the freedom that is found in Christ. No, I do not have to perform for you, God. No, you're not asking me this, 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 this. No, you have freely given me this new way of living. And I just want to live. And I know in and of myself, I can't, but you can in and through me. That's why this whole new life is based on you and led by your Holy Spirit. He's our comforter, he's our teacher, he's our guide. This is a whole new way of living, you all. And so he distributed the priest among the nation to remind them of who he is. Of who he is. And so we pick up in chapter 22. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, And remember these three from the beginning, oh, back here ways ago, before they entered in the promised land, they are like, Hey, Moses, we really like this land. <laughs> and Moses went to God and said, God, and God said, Okay, they can have that land. But remember what God told them, but you all, you're fighting me, and you all are going to go in with your brothers, and you're going to help them conquer this land. And once that land is at rest, once it's done, y'all can go home. These men kept their promise, their covenant. They honored God. They left and they fought these battles. They went in with their brothers and they helped them conquer this land. So Joshua calls these tribes to himself. He told them, you have done as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And you have obeyed every order I've given you. During all this time, you have not deserted the other tribes. You have been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to the present day. And now the Lord your God has given the other tribes rest as he has promised them. So go back home to the land. That Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you as your possession on the east side of the Jordan River. But listen to this, verse 5. Highlight it, circle it, I'll go back and just meditate upon it. But be very careful to obey all the commands and the instructions that Moses gave to you. Love the Lord your God, walk in all of his ways, obey his commands hold firmly to Him, and serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now, He just told them. He just even, it's been expressed to us, the character of these men. They were honorable men. They they, they served God, they obeyed God. They did as they were instructed. They didn't murmur. They didn't complain. They didn't fault find. They didn't get irritated. They didn't look longingly back at the land in which they could be at now instead of fighting with them. No, they did. They honored. They they were living honorable lives. But I love the fact before Joshua sends them off. but be very careful to obey all the commands and the instructions that Moses gave to you. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all of his ways. Obey his commands. Hold firmly to him and serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Yet though we are behind enemy lines, and yet though there are seasons in our walk with Christ where you feel like you are battling nonstop, and then there's times when we come into a season of rest. It's like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. This is, but don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. You've got to remain alert. And that's what basically Joshua was telling them. Like, remain alert. Continue to obey. Continue to love the Lord your God. Continue to walk in all of his ways. Hold firmly to him and serve him with your whole heart. No matter if you're in the valley or the mountaintop, this is how you should be living. No matter if you're engaging in active warfare or you're in a season of rest and peace, like this is how you're to be living. You, nothing changes. It is just who you are. So don't forget that. So as he's telling them, let us hear that for ourselves today. Don't forget, if you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, well, then I don't know why you're not in Christ. I don't know why you haven't come and repented and received. So make that your first step. But if you're in Christ, remember. Remember, this is who you are. He goes on. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went home. Moses had given them the land of Bashan, east of the Jordan River, to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The other half of the tribe was given land west of the Jordan. As Joshua sent them away and blessed them, he said to them, "'Go back to your homes with the great wealth you have taken from your enemies, "'the vast herds of livestock, the silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and the large supply of clothing. "'Share the plunder with your relatives.'" So the men of Reuben, Gad, and a half-tribe of Manasseh left the rest of Israel at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. They started the journey back to their own land of Gilead, the territory that belonged to them, according to the Lord's command through Moses. But while they were still in Canaan, and when they came to a place called Gilead, Near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manassas stopped to build a large and imposing altar, a place of worship. The rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manassas had built an altar at Gileath at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to go to war against them. Do you see what's happening? See, the people in Israel, these other tribes, they knew there was already a place set forth to worship God. And now all of a sudden they're hearing news, oh, wait a minute, our brothers who we just blessed and left, they're building another altar. And see, these other Israelites, they know, and as we should know, as we've read, Already, when people are worshiping in a way they ought not to worship, calamity comes not just on them, but the whole community. Oh, they weren't—they were in a season of rest. They were like, "Wait a minute! Oh no, no, no! God is going to punish us for what they're doing. This is what they're thinking." And so now, this 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 beautiful farewell is now stirred up. Let's go wipe them out. So now they're preparing for war. First, however, they sent a delegation, though, led by Philemon, son of Eleazar, the priest, to talk to the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. <coughs> In this delegation were ten leaders of Israel, one from each of the ten tribes, and each, I'm sorry, and each the head of his family within their clans of Israel. When they arrived to the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manassas, The whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? Was our sin at Peor not enough? To this day, we are not fully cleansed of it, even after the plague that struck the entire community of, of the Lord. And yet today you are turning away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with all of us tomorrow. If you need the altar because the land you possess is defiled, then join us in the Lord's land where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated and share our land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. Don't divine anger, didn't divine anger fall on the entire community of Israel when Achan, a member of the clan of Zerah, sinned by stealing the things set apart for the Lord? He was not the only one who died because of his sin. We have to wait till next week to figure out what happens. <laughs> but these people, were—they, their zeal for Christ, I mean, for the Lord at that time, was strong. They had seen what it was to receive the judgment of God. And they weren't playing. They were like, we're all just going to gather. But I love the fact in their haste, they did make a right decision. So, there's lessons that we can learn. In their haste, they made the right decision. What was the right decision? They sent a delegation first. They were worked up, they were ready for war. They could have gone and just wiped them off. But in their haste, they took a moment and they sent a delegation. Like, we need to know what's happening. What's going on here? Lessons that we can learn careful of the decisions that are made in a moment of haste, in a moment of, of, of when you're stirred up. <laughs> Be mindful. remain alert. Use wisdom. They had every right to go and approach their brothers. They had every right to go and to figure out what is going on. They had every right to remind them, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Do you not remember who he is? Do you not remember his promises? Do you not remember his judgment? Do you not remember his wrath? Oh, there's a lesson we can learn here. When we deal with other brothers and sisters who are in the church, who are Christians. See, we're called to hold each other accountable. We're called to encourage, to edify, and to build up. We're called to remind each other who he is, his promises, his love, and also his wrath. We're called to encourage. We're just not to go along with it. These other tribes, Israel, they could have just sat back and went, ah, who cares? We've got our land. We're at peace. We're at rest now. No, no, no. They know their God. (laughs) And they know good and well. And if those tribes are up to no good, it's going to affect us. So listen to this. That same principle is the same with the church today. When there is sin in the camp, it just doesn't affect that one individual, that one family. It affects the entire community. And just doesn't affect the entire community within the, the church, that, that, that one church, but it, it affects the entire community of Christians throughout the earth. You say, well, how can that be? Have you ever talked to a lost person about the church? They may name name that one individual so-called Christian, but that one so-called Christian that influenced them to think negatively against God and his church, soon that one person's name may fade and now it's the church. There's issues with the church. It's the church. It's the church. It's, it's, the, it's Jesus. It's the God of the church. It's his people. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God is being slandered because of your disobedience. Because others see it in your life. And there probably were no solid Christians around you to step up and say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, don't call yourself a Christian and keep living this way. I mean, that's why even Paul had to write to the, the church in Corinth. He's like, you got craziness going on in your congregation, and you all are just sitting by, and no one is doing anything about it. Throw that man out. And he even takes it a little bit further. Turn him over to Satan. In hopes that his soul would be saved. And I've said before, what the church has done wrong in in accountability is that we throw people out and we don't give them an opportunity to return. The hardest thing to do is to release people. To release people. And even in our own small fellowship, the hardest thing to do is to release people. I use Norma as an example, and I was thinking when I was thinking about this, the only other person was Carrie, and it hit me the other day. Oh, yeah, Carrie was the only other person that I physically had to tell them they weren't allowed back. I have never told that to anyone else, and yet here they are today, two pillars of our community serving and loving and giving. And it took Norma to come to me and say, reach out to Carrie. Reach out to her. You did it for me. Do it for her. It's just not easy to have to hold people accountable. When you're presenting truth to people, remember people hate the truth. People hate the truth. But don't let that deter you from you being a light. Don't let that deter you of keep moving forward with Christ. If people choose to fall away and to go their direction, that's their choice. But the heart behind accountability is reconciliation. Paul didn't say throw him out and keep him out. No, he said throw him out, turn him over to Satan in hopes that his soul will be saved. See, we've got to start caring more about people's souls than their flesh. And that's why I've always told you, we've got to care about people's eternity more than we care about their temporalness. When you counsel, if you're a Christian, if you counsel someone, the first thing you let them know, all I have is Jesus to give you. That that should be the first thing you lay out when people are coming to seek any counsel from you. Many times when I sit down with people, lost or saved, (laughs) you know where the counsel is coming from. It's coming from the word of God. It's coming from Jesus. That's all I have. Oh, I can tell you how to go live, uh, whatever. (laughs) But in the end, what's it going to accomplish? No, we have to be able to uphold truth. We have to be able to go and we have to care enough about the others to say, hey, wait a minute, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. And then there's times when you recognize that people are, do not want to stop what they are doing, then you just have to go. You've got to cut ties. They have a choice. And hope that they come back. Other than that, don't yoke yourself to their slavery. No, remain in the freedom in which you have been given and keep living your life. But when we're dealing with people in the church, we got to take it seriously you all. We got to take it serious. Unbelievers, people who are seeking should come into the church. They should sit, they should listen. They, you know, the Holy Spirit has prompted them for whatever reason to be there. It wasn't that individual's decision that day to go to church on their own. I've always told you, no one wakes up one day and says, today I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, Today I think I'll go to church. Oh, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with them. It's the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit, because God is pleased to reveal himself to everyone, because his will is that none shall perish. So at the end of the day, when they stand before him, he can say with all truth and all justice and everything, I don't know you. He's done everything to reveal himself. He's not going to force people. No, I don't know you. You're in rebellion towards me. I don't know you. But yet God is pleased to, 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 to encourage and, and lure people in to his presence by his Holy Spirit. And so people show up in church for whatever reason. And they may come back and they may go out. They may come back. They may go out at some point, somehow, some way. Ultimately, I pray that they give their life to Christ. But while the unbelievers are coming in and going back and coming in and going back, God, how I pray that they look at the church, they look at Christians, and they say there's something different about them. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. But there's something different. And they should be able to see us live our lives in Christ. They should see our failures. They should see our our, our victories. They should see everything that's going on in our lives. Pointing them more and more to Jesus. Because we're a community of believers. Not perfect people, but maturing people. And so we're not setting standards of our own. No, we raise the standard in which God has already set for ourselves and for them. So they hear it just not, oh, you should live this way, this way, this way. No, they actually see it lived among us and in us. And so the more that the Holy Spirit is working on them, opening their hearts, opening their minds to truth, they finally come to a place to receive Christ. I remember as an unbeliever going to church. I had no reason, I had no clue why I was there. <laughs> and when that preacher got up to the microphone and said, I know I was here to preach a, for, for this conference, a certain message, but I'm really feeling that the Holy Spirit is saying I need to go a different direction. And all of a sudden, they were telling my they were talking about me. I was getting angry I was like I don't know any of these people in here I don't know that person and yet their words were piercing my heart it was as if they were reading my story telling all my business and I knew with the thousands of people that were there it just wasn't me but in that moment oh yeah I thought I was set up somehow what kind of craziness is this what kind of foolishness is this But by the time they asked for the altar call, I couldn't wait to run downstairs. I knew where I needed to be. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that everything about me was exposed. But ultimately, everything about him was finally revealed to me. Because my whole life, I was told he hated me. Hated me. And yet, in a moment, yet though my life and all my sin, every disgusting thing about me was exposed and laying bare and naked before the living God, God said, Come, child, come, receive. And we want to play church, you all. You see what I'm saying? Like, we just, we want to, I don't know what we're doing. And I'm not just saying us, but I'm just about the church at large. Like, what if, we, what, if, what if we turn this into be? When we're talking about the kingdom of God, like, this should be like our desire. Like, this has to be everything about us and within us. It is our belief and our confession. Right? He's the Son of God, and then He rose from the dead. Man couldn't write this. There, there's no way man could write this. They were inspired to write it, but they didn't put it together to where it is penetrating the very depths of human beings throughout throughout time and will continue to, to where governments and people in authority want to take the word of God from you. They want to silence the church. They want to kill the Christians. Like, do, you, do you understand? This is so much more than just, ah, I'm going to church. Uh, I'm a Christian. God, we've got to wake up. And what a beautiful picture for us to end in Joshua today. These men of honor left, but they were doing something questionable. The other brothers were concerned because they knew good and well if it was not of the right motive, god would deal with us go to luke chapter 20 verse 1 through 26 luke chapter 20 verse 1 through 26 last week we saw jesus cleared the temple One day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Again, the religious men of the day the priest of the day, the religious men of the hour, they were the ones who were supposed to know God. They were the ones who were supposed to remind the people who God was and is. And yet, they were so deceived. And remember, Jesus even tells them, your father's the devil. You go far to win converts. This is Jesus' words but you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. He's telling that to the priest. All throughout history, God has raised up men to speak forth His word. And do you know what they do with men and women who speak forth His word? They kill them. They silence them. But these priests, they were deceived into thinking that they were children of God. And they were deceiving all of their followers. Do you not understand, again, that we are behind enemy lines? The enemy is is, is set forth to steal and to kill and to destroy. Do you recognize as we've been in the New Testament when Jesus had a little bit of oomph in him, was towards the religious people. He was compassionate and he was moved for the lost. Remember when he interacted with the lost? He didn't lose himself. He didn't act like them to win them. No, no. He exposed their need for him. Their need for God. They saw their wickedness. They saw their sin. But these religious men, no, no, no. He was challenging their authority. They wanted to rule. They wanted to reign. And so now they want to know by him, who has given you the right? And then again, I love how Jesus deals with religious people. He says, let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven? Or was it merely human they talked it over among themselves if we say it was from heaven he will ask why we didn't believe john but if we say it was merely human the people will stone us because they are convinced john was a prophet so they finally replied that they didn't know like he always exposes the hypocrisy he always exposes how ignorant they are. Yet, though they are full of so much knowledge, he exposes them for who they truly are. And Jesus responded, "Then I, ha! <laughs> I won't tell you by what authority I do these things."
1: Now, I can only imagine
0: all the people are there. These were the men that the, these are the men that they followed. These were the men that walked among them high and pious Uh, you're below me i'm of god and here they were and now all of a sudden jesus is just stripping them just before these people and he didn't buy into them no he says then i won't tell you by what authority i do these things and then listen he didn't stop there like that was a one-two punch But now he's coming for the knockout. Listen to this. Now Jesus turned. Look what he did here. He now turns to the people. And told them this story. See if you can figure out what he's saying. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to the tenant farmers, And moved to another country to live for several years. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers attacked the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. But they also insulted him. I'm sorry. So the owner sent another servant. But they also insulted him, beat him up, and sent him empty away empty-handed. A third man was sent, and they wounded him and chased him away. What will I do, the owner asked himself. I know, I'll send my cherished son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenant farmers saw his son, they said to each other, Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. So what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard would do to them, Jesus asked. I'll tell you. He will come and kill those farmers and leave the vineyard to others. How terrible that such a thing should ever happen. His listeners protested. Jesus looked at them and said, Then what does scripture mean? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone it falls on. The teachers of the religious law and the leading priests wanted to arrest Jesus immediately because they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the people's reaction listen, you all, we got to expose the religion first in our own hearts and lives. And then deal with it as you're out and about. As you're out and about. You're going to be challenged by people. People who may even know Scripture. People who may think they're more godly than you. Because they hold a position or form they have some type of form of a platform but don't be intimidated don't be intimidated speak truth expose the deception because it's running amok it's running amok it's running amok And it's leading people further and further or further away from God. And you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know whose life you will impact by speaking truth. Because they're listening. They're watching. Jesus exposed them. He stripped them bare. Verse 20 watching their opportunity watching for the opportunity the leading the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men they tried to get jesus to say something that could be reported to the roman governor so he would arrest jesus teacher they said we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think you teach the way of god truthfully now now Tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and said, Show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer, and they became silent. Oh, don't miss this. He says, show me a coin. Who's on this coin? Whose image is on this coin? Caesar. Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Now, don't let the last part of what he said fall on deaf ears, or go to the side like, "Oh, okay, that's neat that he said." But let Whose image are you to bear? We were all created in the image of God. So, give to God what belongs to God. Give him your life. You bear His image. Ah, come on, you all. They were astonished by his answer. And they were silent. Go to Psalm 89, verse 1 through 13. Psalm 89, verse 1 through 13. Oh, how I pray that you know your God. <laughs> He's a great God. He's a loving God. He's a just God. He's a holy God, you all. And as I've encouraged us, as we're reading through the book of Psalms, to look up. These psalmists, again, they, they, they've experienced everything life could throw at them. And yet, they keep looking up, trusting in the God who has called them out. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. Oh, The Lord said, I made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Marauds of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. Oh, you should mark this psalm, you should highlight it, because the next time you're getting discouraged, the next time your mind and your soul is shaken, the next time you're questioned or you're unsure of how great your God is, how faithful He is, turn to this psalm and begin to declare it loudly out of your mouth how great He is, how faithful He is. We're being run down, we're being knocked over, because we're not standing. Listen, you've got to fight back. Remember in Ephesians, it says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers of darkness, of rulers and the air and the darkness. You can't see what's coming against you. But you can know that's a lie. Oh, you stop whispering in my ear. Oh, I see you trying to bring this along in front of me to lure me. Mm -mm. Not today, Satan. (laughs) Oh, I see you're trying to make me, you're trying to discredit my God. But may I remind you. That's why I've always encouraged you. Journal. Journal your walk with God. If I gave you my first journal, or the ones afterwards, but mainly, especially the first years of my walk with God, I told you, if you, if you read it, you would think, who's this crazy man? I mean, it's almost schizophrenia, it's, it's crazy, but I'm writing everything out, everything. The battle, I mean, you can see the intense battle that was going on in my very soul, And then finally, at the end, you can see such beautiful freedom. It's not, I'm not telling you this is an easy way. Jesus himself tells us it's not. But you've got to write it out. And I'd love to go back to my journals, I'd love to go ultimately back to scripture. And I love when I'm under intense attack and I'm under intense pressure or I'm under just questioning God and I know I ought not to be. I pick up the Bible, I pick up my journals and I'll walk and I'll read them out loud. More so for my sake to remind myself, wait a minute, stop acting like you don't know who he is. It's like when David used to talk to himself, David... Oh my soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Sometimes you gotta get it before you. And so I love what this psalmist is doing here. He's declaring God's faithfulness. He's faithful to what he has started, what he has promised. He goes on here. We're only going to verse 13. You rule the oceans, you subdue the storm-tossed waves. You crushed the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. Come on. You created north and south, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. Praise your name. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high and glorious strength awesome our God is you all nothing nothing can compare to him so I don't know what's in your way of pressing in but I do pray that this new year you would deal with it you would get honest and you would get bare and transparent and naked before God I've got nothing to hide God you know everything about me And yet you love me. I don't want to deny you access to all of me. No, I'm sorry, God. Have your way. Have your way. Like Let him be God, you all. Let him be Lord. You you should be, like, (laughs) you should be engaging in active, combative warfare out to be every single day. Because if you're not, you're being slaughtered. The enemy is not going just to sit back. Him and his hordes of hell and demons are not just going to idly sit back. They are out to ruin nations. They are out to ruin families. They are out to ruin individual lives. Look at the chaos that's ensuing. That has been foretold. It's all coming to pass. Because he knows his time is coming. He knows ultimately Jesus already won. But he knows the time is coming. And so he's reaping destruction after destruction after destruction after destruction after destruction until ultimately there's going to be a time when his Messiah, the Antichrist, appears. I've got the answers for everything. Peace, lasting peace. He's going to influence many by doing signs and wonders. And many will trust and put their hope and their belief and this man, who ultimately will lead them to hell, this is what we're warring up against every day. Oh, but we just go to church. We post our little Jesus stuff. We, 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 we ah. And yet, we're called for so much more. You all. And that's what I'm really praying for this year for us. That you would understand who you're called by and what you've been called for. That You would stand in the assurance and know who your God is. And that you will allow him full access to your life to bring forth what he has already purposed and planned for your life. He created you, He knows you intimately, and He purposed you for such a time as this. So no matter how the chaos goes, no matter what's before us and the day is ahead, would you just remind yourself, God, you purposed me for this generation. I don't want to miss out what you've purposed me for. I've been doing a lot of study and looking back at people who made a difference over the years in history. Average normal people, they don't have a huge platform. You're never going to see a movie about them. You're not going to read books about them. But their lives made a huge difference for the kingdom. And the many that came to Christ because of their humility and their service and their love. Come on, you all. You were purposed For such a time as this. We're closing in Proverbs chapter 13. Verse 15 and 16. Proverbs 13 verse 15 and 16. Two nuggets of wisdom. A person with good sense is respected. A treacherous person is headed for destruction. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And even brag about their foolishness. Wisdom, you all. Oh, how we need it. I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer.